Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. If this is your first time checking out V Radio, please check out my website, V hyphen or V minus or V dash radio.org. Uh, there you can click archives and listen to more shows like this one. I've actually had several interviews with my guest today, Ben Stewart. Also interviews with other activists, document, documentary filmmakers, scientists, politicians, a few good ones. Um, lots of roundtable discussions of current events that are important. Uh, and also my must-see TV list, which is a list of free documentaries you can watch on the Internet that I think are kind of required watching for anybody who wants to be socially conscious in this world. Uh, v Radio is a listener-supported effort, so if you like what you hear, please consider a donation, which you can also do there on the website by clicking the Donate tab. Uh, that said, I want to welcome my guest, Ben Stewart, back to V-Radio. Welcome, Ben. Hey, Neil. It's good to be back, man. Yeah, definitely, Ben. Um, now, I guess uh, just to kind of reacquaint uh, my audience with you, anybody who hasn't um, heard of you, obviously, you know, you're the filmmaker behind Chimatica and Esoteric Agenda, and I think, what was it called, Ungrip? Was that the last one? Yes, Ungrip. Yeah, that was a great one. Um, and then you're also the lead singer of the band, Harrisonic. And yeah. uh, um, and now you're moving on to a TV show. Why don't you basically give the gist of that? Uh, well, um, I met uh, David Icke at his Wembley event last year, or actually in 2012, at the end of 2012. And this was right around the time, I guess, when he was considering starting up a TV network called The People's Voice. And so... We kind of we kept in touch and everything, and as he was getting content for this television network, he was getting you know uh, news shows shows on uh, Gaza and Israel and Palestine. Um, he was getting um, different shows on like music and things like that, but he didn't have anything specifically on art um, to take like a, an overall view of the importance of art in culture and where the creative process comes through a human being. So I, I thought it would be pretty rad to pitch that to him. He said he loved the idea. So uh, the show's called Waking Infinity, and it airs on thepeoplesvoice.tv. And it's a, it's a pretty cool show. We've only gotten three episodes out so far, and um, you know I've been moving across the country, so we're still in the process of making um, you know the next the fourth and the fifth and the sixth episode but the seasons are going to be quite short and they're all going to be focused on specific topics like the first season is uh, focused on art and the parallels between art and real uh, magic like the magic that the MAGA used to um, uh, obviously used to perform what the Kabbalah and what actually um, like Gnosticism and alchemy and forms of magic that turned into religion and then they just became sanctioned forms of magic, sanctioned by authority, political authority. So um, that was the first season. The second season was 100% filmed in Peru and had a lot to do with the, um, the, the sacred forms of medicine that they practiced down there. And uh, the, the whole season is about the art of healing and medicine in general. Well, that sounds excellent. Um, now... Uh, as far as um, I guess the, you know, is this going to be something that's going to be online? Or is it going to be a cable network, or um, like just like is where will people be able to see it? 
Well, um, as of right now, the only way that I know people can see it is on the peoplesvoice.tv. Okay. And the, um, the, the only uh, shortcoming that I'm seeing right now is the fact that there's no back catalog yet, so you can't just um, watch anything at any given time. It's not like an on-demand thing where, where you just click on the show you want to see and then you could watch that show. You have to actually you know, catch it at its airing time, just like TV. Right. So there's, I'm I'm working with them with um, obviously they have the idea already of having a back catalog that you can just click and play, but um, uh, I'm also looking to build a website and actually have all the episodes all available on the website as a back catalog so you can click them and watch them at any time. Have it on YouTube for free. Um, right. I'm really looking to get it out there so anybody could watch it at any time. You know, with with no preconditions. Well, excellent. Um, now, I mean, have you, I mean, like, have you kind of thought about any content that you have in mind already? I'm sorry, content for for what? the show. Like, do you have any idea? Like, if you give the listeners any idea, like, what you think your first episodes are going to be about? Well, <clears throat> the first few episodes are already out there. So, oh. um, you know, the the first one was actually done at. Well, I, it's actually a pretty neat story. I'll tell you how it came about. I had an idea. I was going to travel across the country doing a road trip, and this was back in the summer. And I had an idea of all the people that I wanted to meet along the way. There were artists, painters, conscious artists, um, you know, musicians, things like that. And I was going to interview them, and it was just going to be like kind of just a regular show. You know, I, I go out, I interview people, and I, I turn that into the show. And... I decided at one point, uh, because I was picking up my girlfriend um, from Wisconsin, the band was playing out there, and I was picking her up, and we were going on this road trip starting at Burning Man. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to get Dylan Avery, the guy who did Loose Change, he's a friend of mine, uh, I'm going to get Dylan Avery to come in um, to Burning Man with me and Barbara, my girlfriend, and we are. that's how we're going to film the first episode. It's going to be at Burning Man, because we're... We're better to film the first episode of a show about art and consciousness and like the the liberation that it brings you than Burning Man. Sure. So we went out there and we were filming. It was great. And the guy that we just happened to camp right next to was the guy that the first episode was about. And it was it, it was just kind of synchronistic. Two years ago or two years prior in Toronto, I did a talk. And I met a lot of people there, but afterwards there was this one guy who came up and said, hey, man, really nice talk. I loved it. Can you give me a ride home? And I thought that was brilliant, you know, because, like, not not, a, not everybody has the balls to treat you perfectly uh, equal, no matter who you are. You know, I just did a talk, and usually I don't get people coming up and asking for rides home. So I thought it was I thought it was awesome that he actually did that. So I was like, yes, I'll give you a ride home. We talked on the way home. It was awesome. Never thought of the dude again. And it just so turns out that our the camp that we were going to be camping with at Burning Man, it our contact kind of fell through, so we were left stranded at Burning Man to find a place to camp. Right. So we did. And we just kind of like found a, a little empty spot sandwiched between two camps, and we just threw up our tent there. And we are just like, oh, man, I, I hope our neighbor doesn't mind us you know, camping right next to him wake up the next morning 
and there's this dude staring at me, and he's like, you look familiar. You made Climatica. I gave, you gave me a ride home from your talk in Toronto two years ago. Oh, wow. And it just so happened to be the same guy. But the perfect thing about it was he was the one that really, um, he, he sparked this idea of synchronicity and magic in, my, in myself, um, in Barbara, and I hope in Dylan as well. But he was the perfect guy for the first interview for the, you know, basically the start of Waking Infinity. Because he was speaking about, um, you know, synchronicity, he was speaking about magic, and he was speaking about our ability to create the reality that we're living in. And he was throwing out huge ideas like, you know, if, if people are talking about revolution, if people are talking about changing the way things are, why is nobody talking about spontaneous world peace? You know, it's possible, but it's not possible because nobody believes it. It seems so out there. And he was just going off the deep end with some of it, but he spoke so well and so eloquently that it was just a perfect first episode. So after that, um, Barbara and I were going on a month-long road trip, and we were just like, you know what, let's just screw it. Let's just go wherever the hell we feel like and watch the the season kind of unfold, watch the road trip unfold according to us just doing what we're inspired to do in the moment. So we went to Mount Shasta. We met a conscious filmmaker there by chance from L.A. Uh, who was road tripping around the country. He was another episode. Um, and every place that we went, somebody would meet us and be like, oh, hey, you got to check this place out. It's like two hours north. And we would go there, we would film, and then somebody there would be like, oh my God, no, you, you need to go meet my friend in San Francisco. And we would go there, film, and it was just kind of, every step would unfold after we would arrive at the next step. So it was just pretty rad, and that turned into the actual essence of the whole first season, because the whole first season was about actually being able to let go of the agenda in your mind, let go of this idea of where you think you should be going and what you should be doing when you get there, and just open it up to what am I the most inspired to do right now? And when you open yourself up to that, you notice that things just seem to kind of fall into place, and other things that weren't necessary, they just seem to fall apart. So that was the, it actually turned into the meaning of the whole first season um, was that approach that Barbara and I took on the road trip. So that's the first season. And then the second season, I was going down to visit Barbara because she was the raw food chef at a healing center called Sananda Wasi down in Peru in the sacred valley of the Andes. So I went down there to film with a guy named Max Egan. He's a filmmaker from Australia. And we bounced all around Peru and then ended up in Pisac uh, with Barbara. And then Barbara and I went into Iquitos. And we were just bouncing all around Peru and filming. But that actually turned into the second season uh, that I'm working on now, the second season of Waking Infinity, which actually has a lot to do with the um, art of healing uh, the, the, and what real medicine is. Obviously, n not the medicine that you can imbibe, not the medicine that comes in pill form, not allopathic medicine, but real medicine, like soul medicine, um, the path in your life type of medicine, deep psychological issues medicine. So that actually became the second season. So it's kind of unfolding as it goes, and I'm going to Australia here in the next um, couple weeks for three months. Um, I'm going to be doing a tour with Barbara, actually. 
and that is we're going to be filming out there, and that's probably going to become the third season of Waking Infinity. This actually sounds like something that would just be like really fun to do and to be part of. I mean, and obviously you get to share these experiences as you're going around the world. Um, I know, like you just spent some time out of the country. Obviously, um, did you? Did you, can you did you do any of your episodes like you know? there or was it pretty much just all local or well that was peru i was okay right. was i'm actually, sorry peru i misunderstood right yeah yeah so that was that was peru and while i was down there that was when this opportunity to go out and tour in australia came up so it just it really does seem that every time uh one opportunity opens up if i go for it and i start working on it something else just naturally opens up afterwards and it just keeps the flow going like you know so now I've been offered to go speak at Boom Festival in Portugal, which is later in the summer. So Barbara and I are going to be going um, out that way, uh, doing a talk, and um, kind of moving on from there. And I actually had a funny story. I had an opportunity to speak at this thing called the Entheo Conference, um, which is all about entheogens, and it's in Berlin and Potsdam out in Germany. And they they wanted me to uh, to come out and speak about you know ay- ayahuasca the um, you know huachuma several of the different types of sacred medicines that I've tried before, and then their committee started looking into me and my bio and they they felt that esoteric agenda was far too controversial, um, and and I guess you know like and that's not even really talking crap on them you know I really wish I could have done it because it seems like it was it would have been a really amazing conference. Um, it's unfortunate that they see something that I did five six years ago as being no what is it 2014 yeah six years ago as being so controversial. Uh, because I've, I, I, I don't want to say that I've moved on, but my, um, what, what I see in the world has definitely evolved. And I would say that what I'm talking about now is less controversial in an accusational way. I'm not pointing fingers at, you know, politicians and elite. I'm not doing any of that anymore. I'm really pointing the finger back towards personal responsibility and then turning it into inspiration with art. And, um... So it was kind of unfortunate, but it was just kind of funny. That was the first time that Esoteric Agenda was the reason why I'm not allowed to go speak somewhere, when usually it's the very reason why I am allowed to go speak somewhere. <laughs> well, you know, and it's funny, actually, that, that you know, you changed that focus. Um, and I actually think that that has a lot, like, that's actually a very positive thing. Like, if you remember the movie um, in the comic book, B for Vendetta, there's that scene where he's giving that speech, and, you know, he's trying to tell people, you know, if you're looking for the guilty... Uh, you need only look in the mirror. People don't really look at their own contribution to our current consciousness and the, the current state of society. They tend to be looking, you know, elsewhere and, and finding the people to blame. And while it is still important to make people aware of the things that are messed up, people definitely don't spend enough time, you know, like uh, actually getting it and, and either doing something about it or at least focusing on the aspects of their own lives that are contributing to the problem. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely it's it's a form of projection. It's 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 the easiest thing to do in that respect because we see the outside world as being more real than the metaphorical inside world. And um I actually think that's why we have dreams to tell you the truth is, you know, dreams are steeped in metaphor. They are the metaphorical reflection of the things that happen in the physical world. 
And you can't say that one is more real than the other because we experience both. But truly, you know, a lot of the times we're we're projecting the the fault, the blame, the the reason, the purpose, the mission. We, we reflect all of that out into the outside world, and we forget that within us, it really is. It all comes down to that choice to angle yourself to the world. The Hindus called it bhava, and that means attitude or manner of being. It's what you bring to the table. Instead of thinking that this is a prison yard and you have your world set for you and now you're just trying to be happy inside of a prison yard, um, instead of looking at it that way, you realize that you bring just as much, if not more, to the table, so you shape your reality. You're not just surviving your reality. And that's looking at the world as a playground rather than a prison yard. You're not here serving a life sentence. You're here performing and playing and experimenting and, and checking out what's available to you. And then you realize how to whittle away the things that don't, uh, aren't very necessary for you or seem to consistently cause problems for you. Um, and you go towards the things that seem to always unfold and unravel the mysteries that you're after in life. So that's kind of where I've gotten in my work is speaking about art is looking at your art, or I'm sorry, looking at your life as an art project. Build it in the same way, with the same inspiration, with the same tenacity that you would an art project or a puzzle or a video game. You don't live in fear of a video game or a puzzle. You, you may get frustrated here and there when you realize that you've hit a roadblock, but when you keep in mind that the roadblock is a psychological barrier that you've put in place for you to overcome, and again, to use another Hindu term, Ganesha, he's the placer, I'm sorry, he's the remover of obstacles. Everybody prays to him to remove obstacles from their path. When, let's say, you have like an issue and you don't know how to get around it, you pray to Ganesha, and Ganesha helps you remove obstacles from your path. However, Ganesha is also the one who placed all of those obstacles there. So it's a representation of a force within our psyche that creates a problem specifically so we can surmount that problem. Now, why would that be important? Why would we place a problem in our own way so we can figure out how to get over it? It's because, to me, it's the same thing as, you know, why, why wouldn't a father just give his children a fish instead of teaching them how to fish? You're teaching them a process, a way. It's not just about feeding them. It's showing them how to problem solve and move forward in their lives. No matter what obstacles are there, you do have the ingenuity, you do have the creativity, and you do have that spark of inspiration to blast any barrier apart and so you can move through it or beyond it or figure out the puzzle to where you become the key and the puzzle is all the tumblers in the lock. And once you angle your attitude, your bhava, your manner of being in this world, once you angle it to the situation perfectly, that's grace. And grace is the key that unlocks all of the mysteries of the universe, I believe. So I think that's really what it is with art, is it's looking at the same exact thing in a completely different manner. You see the physical reality, but you recognize that the metaphorical reality underlying it is more profound. It's not we don't place metaphors on top of a physical reality. The metaphorical reality is the one that gives birth to this physical reality. So if we look at it in that way, then everything that we do, whether it be dance, getting better at dance, getting better at whittling, getting better at things like martial arts, 
the more we move forward in things like martial arts and things like that, you can use that as a metaphor to be the way that you are, let's say, if you're a gardener, pulling the weeds. You're tending to the garden of the mind. You're pulling the weeds, the unnecessary thoughts. You can use that as a metaphor for your spiritual expanse, uh, expansion or your conscious expansion or just uh, the betterment of disciplining the mind, whatever it may be. But it's the metaphor that drives the physical reality as long as you use it for that power. It's sitting there, the metaphorical reality. I don't think we give enough credit to why metaphors exist. That's the process. That's the way. That's the artistic way of discerning what's going on in our lives. And when we grab a hold of those reins and actually take, you know, take the reins of our lives and actually start steering it, then we begin to realize that things start naturally falling into place because that's the natural state of order. You know, um, I think that it's interesting, obviously, you know, um, that you bring it up in that context to kind of give people an idea of, like, you know, the real path to self-discovery and introspection and, and the different ways can, you know, it can open your mind and essentially the things that you see externally allowing you to kind of be able to better understand yourself. Um, I think that a lot of people don't really... Ever, they're not really conscious of kind of the relationship of you know their own a bit you know basically we get we get kind of caught up in the external sometimes in such a way that um, we don't really think about the fact that the way we feel the things that we think are you know directly affected um, but in a way that maybe not is not necessarily readily apparent on the surface does that you, does that make sense to you do you see what I'm saying? Um. A little bit. Okay. Well, no, um, it's just basically, you know, when you talk about the relationships as to, like, what, you know, what goes on and, you know, and what makes us who we are. But um, in, in any case, uh, now as far as, like, I mean, is this TV show pretty much, like, uh, keeping up all of your time, or do you have any um, plans to make any more movies? Um, well, you know, I definitely have the impulse to work on a film, actually, uh, as of right now, I'm actually liking the idea of carrying on this show, the Waking Infinity show, and turning it into a series that can, in the long run, be watched all as one long art piece. So every episode flows into the next, and it tells like a continuing story, in a way. So as of right now, that's kind of what's taking up all of my time, because in a sense it is a film project just broken up into episodes so um, as far as in the future doing another film I would love to, I always have ideas however um, I know that there's, there's other things that, other territories I haven't stepped into yet that I would really like to approach um, to see the way that I fit into it and to see what kind of um, you know, what way it influences my life and how my art will develop from that point, how my creativity would develop from that point. Um, so, to tell you the truth, I don't know. I mean, honestly, like, I'm really interested in writing more music right now. And, um, you know, music is always the cornerstone of, you know, what inspires me the most, more so than film. So that's, that's one thing that I'm definitely focusing on, that and the show, Waking Infinity. But, you know, I just... As I was telling you before the show, um, I just literally moved to California, so I just completed a two, three-week road trip, 
moving all my stuff across the country from Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And um, as of right now, like things are kind of up in the air, and there's a lot of other things, you know, obvious things with moving that are, are taking my time. But I'm happy to keep a lot of things on hold and things that don't really... Things that seem like, you know, they would need to be the first things you do when you move, like you need to get a bank, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to set yourself up. These are things that I don't necessarily feel I need to do until it really becomes time for me to do that. Right now, I'm kind of still in transportation mode where in two weeks, uh, my girlfriend and I are heading out to Australia. So I technically haven't landed in California yet, even though that's where I'm calling you from. <laughs> so, right. so I'm not really sure. I mean, things are very up in the air, and it's kind of one of those transition periods in my life. Um, so I have a feeling when I when I kind of settle in a little bit more, which I plan to do when I get back from Australia, um, that's when the creativity will start flowing and the projects will start coming back up. But I think Waking Infinity is going to be what I put most of my time and effort into, that and making music. Yeah, I was actually, you know, when we on the topic of music, I was going to ask, um, how is the band doing? And, um, I mean, are, did they relocate as well, or...? Well, um, you know, I guess this is the, uh, the first time saying anything about it publicly. Um, so the band is, I guess what you would say is we're on hiatus. Okay. Um, we, we had a discussion when I decided... I would, I'm going to be moving to California. I told the band that I I would like them to come out to California with me so we can continue. And um, for realistic reasons, you know, Jared, uh, our guitarist, has a kid, and um, he can't leave his kid behind there, and he he would be missing a lot in his kid's life. So it's respectable and understandable that for the time being, he's going to stick it out in Pennsylvania. Um, Mike and Randy, they're basically planning on coming out here to LA within the next few months but they're kind of getting things in order working um, making a little bit more money so they have kind of a little cushion when they come out here and they can get on their feet um, me I'm, I'm kind of less I take less precautions I just grabbed my car packed it up and started driving <laughs> um, so well, I mean, right the way now, you travel, I mean, it doesn't even necessarily have to mean that, that, you know, that that'll destroy the band somehow. It's not like you can't just go back and you know, work with them. For sure. Yeah, and, you know, honestly, it's um, this is the way that we've been looking at it. We decided none of us want the band to be over. However, we've been doing this 11 years hard. And, you know, since the films have come out, I haven't been able to travel for more than two weeks at a time uh, except the time that I went to England for about three months. And that's because the band, we, we just had this idea, you know, we always have to be touring. We always have to be on the road. We always have to be writing. We've got to be doing something. We can't be unproductive for more than, you know, two weeks at a time. So it kind of got to that point where I was feeling a little bit congested and trapped um, in, in this idea of the band always having to be producing and, and making something and doing something and traveling somewhere. And I think everybody started to feel that way. So the reason why we just decided to go on a hiatus and we, it's open-ended, we have no idea if and when it'll get back together, um, is because we really wanted to just see what it would be like to just pursue our own lives without the band being um, the dominant thought in our minds. So 
don't let the idea of the band push our lives forward anymore. Let whatever will emerge, emerge. And I think it's kind of beautiful because now we're all kind of stepping into our own and we're doing exactly what we want to do and we're take, making big transitions in our lives. Hopefully in the future, we can get back together and record an amazing album, like, you know, write for an entire year in seclusion and then record an amazing album and then release it and go on tour. Um, you know, I'm hoping that something like that can come up in the future. Um, but as of right now, that's kind of where we're at. We're on an open-ended hiatus. Well, that's, you know, and the funny thing is, is that things like that can actually be very good for a band. Um, I mean, and I've also seen, you know, too much touring, you know, wreck havoc on bands. I mean, Jason Newstead, you know, was so sick of the just the endless circus that was Metallica, and it was literally, he just went to the band and said, can we just take a year off? And they all looked at him like he was nuts, and that led to him leaving. You know, I... I've found that, you know, art in particular is not something that you could just cram on all the time and then expect it to be of any quality. You know, um, mm. even just like the stuff I do with my radio show, like I have to take breaks from it from time to time or the, you know, the quality that people would come to expect is just not going to be there. And, you know, I've also seen, you know, bands that have separated for a time and then they come back together and, you know, uh, it's it's kind of you know it, it can enrich the experience because you know they're all going to have different experiences and whatever it is that they're doing working on their own projects you know and then once you guys come back together then you, you know, it can actually kind of help to evolve you you know to, to move you forward um, because that's another thing you know I've seen some bands you know that are just forever putting out content and it's all they do and then um, I wouldn't say like you know I'll give you an example like ACDC um, doesn't really evolve. I still like listening to ACDC, but they pretty much sound exactly the same as they always have. Um, Very so, true. You know, in some cases, that's good. I mean, I've, I've seen also seen some bands make some changes that I, I didn't necessarily agree with. But, you know, um, overall, though, you know, I have a feeling that, I mean, you guys have been doing that for so long. I, you know, sometimes that, you know, a, a, some time out, some fresh perspective, and then what will happen is, is that, you know, you'll get the itch again. Like you said, you want to write some music, you know. Um, that's kind of the way it was for me forever is uh, every now and then I would pick up songwriting again just because, you know, I got the itch rather than feeling that I have to be pressured to do so. So, you know, I think that that could actually work out pretty well for you guys. Um, yeah. You know, uh, what uh, I say, obviously we've talked about like where you want to take your show in the next few seasons and all of that. Um, is there... Anything else is, as far as, like, you know, since the last time I've had you on that you'd like to share with the audience as far as your experiences? Wow. Um, trying to think, the last time we had a show, I'm trying to think of, like, where I was at. Um, you know, things change so rapidly in my life, and I think that um, I've actually gotten to a point where, you know, so when I released the Hangman Project, and uh, the overarching theme of the Hangman Project was really to, to get people to realize that just by the very act of looking at your life through different eyes or looking at it from a different perspective will automatically start changing your reality. So right. if you put yourself in the place of another perspective, your reality will automatically start changing itself, and that is the basis of magic. So this is actually an ever ongoing art project of my own is to start people with an understanding and slowly build it 
and just have them ponder it for a while and then have me throw that idea away and then start again with another one. So seemingly it looks like a bunch of little art projects when in reality it is an evolution of the same idea. And the, you know, the Hangman Project, I really put that scientifically into experimentation in my own life where I would consistently put myself into a different perspective. I would consistently change up my environment and change up my mind frame and the inner landscape of, you know, the inner environment of the mind um, and experiment with it. And that's been going on for the past five, six years now since, you know, since the film started coming out. And I guess the thing that I started realizing is um, balance is so incredibly crucial. I, you know, I've really been burning myself out and, you know, being, being the fact that, you know, I, I'm in decent shape, I'm still, you know, quite young, I, I have uh, a lot of energy, inspiration, burning myself out is, is not necessarily um, what you wouldn't find in, let's say, frat boys in their early 20s or something like that. Yeah, they're burning themselves out, but they just have this stupid energy that just comes from their youth. And um, what I realized is that that's kind of the trapping that I've noticed is the fact that I have all this energy and I can go to the extremes all the time and I do go to extremes a lot you know I'm always traveling I'm always doing something I'm always going to the very ends of my wits of my energy of everything and I realized that that is actually burning out the spark of not just creativity but um, again like using that word magic and I use that word because I know that it's such a you know, such a misunderstood word, and when people first hear it, um, the first thought is like, oh, Hollywood, or the first thought is like, oh, this, you know, like trickery, sleight of hand, um, and I use this very complicated word specifically in hopes that people will reevaluate it and recognize, okay, with the modern understanding of, you know, quantum ph uh, physics and um, you know, not even metaphysics, but relativity and the, the looking at the world in a holographic uh, mind frame, you know, what could magic mean in that respect? And what I've noticed that balance is so crucially important when we're speaking about manifesting your physical reality through the mind, through your manner of psyche, um, through your bhava, your attitude, your manner of being. Um, and without balance, you're not alchemically using the perfect quantity of the mixture of your ability and your capacity to change your life and the spark, the fluid, the fuel, you know, all of those different ingredients that come together, they need to be in the right proportion. So it really does have to do with balance. And what I've recognized over the past few years is that by burning myself out and not really learning the lessons of balance, just learning the lessons of, oh, when I when I travel to this country, I come back and I have diarrhea for three weeks. You know, yeah, that's experience, that's learning, but I'm not learning the essence of what it means to balance my life and really take charge of how I create my own life uh, and how, I, uh, how every step in this cobblestone path in front of me, how I lay that cobblestone, how I am actually creating the path in front of me. And... Um, that's really, in a very metaphorical sense, that's what I've learned over the past few years is that growing up and getting older is beautiful if you take it in that way. And that's where grace comes in. 
And I guess I'm learning those things like grace is one of the most powerful but misunderstood, especially if you're young. What does grace have to do with it? You know, like it's just about doing it and getting the job done. Uh, like, you know, you see 18, 19, 20-year-olds, they don't know what lovemaking is. It's just sex. And you can right. tell by the facial expressions. You know, it's just about getting the job done. It's a function. And But grace is something that you learn as you get older and you realize that it's the, it's the swagger, it's the art, it's the manner of being that you align yourself with what's coming at you. And you recognize that this is coming at me because it's a lesson. How am I going to beautifully embrace it with grace? Because that is how I actually open up a neurological pathway within me to approach everything in life in that very same way. It's actually creating a conduit for that type of a process to emerge. So that's kind of, I don't know, that's, you know, long story short, that's what I've learned over the past few years is really um, respecting that form of balance in life. Well, you know, I, I definitely think balance is something that people don't, and especially we can have kind of a live-in-the-moment culture, and it can lead to a lot of excesses. And I don't think that people really realize, uh, it, 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 I mean, that's true of everything, like especially with the various things that we lose ourselves in as far as entertainment. You know, I, for example, play far less video games than I have pretty much my entire life. And the, the reason is, is I just kind of started to realize that, you know, first of all, you believe in, you know, obviously being somewhat atheist, I'm kind of, you know, thinking more about mortality, and I was like, you know, how much time and energy am I spending on this, and what kind of legacy is it leaving, you know, what kind of uh, contribution to the world, and, and how do I feel about that, you know, if you only have so much time in this world to kind of express yourself, then you really start to think a lot more heavily, you know, about the impact that you're having. And I think I've seen people, for example, uh, they can just lose themselves in some of these uh, different uh, forms of entertainment that we use nowadays. Um, and it becomes their life. Like, they don't even really think about what's going on outside their house. They don't think about what's going on, you know, sometimes even outside their room. You know, uh, I frequently have roommates, and I'll have roommates who literally I probably see them more if they're not living with me because if they are living with me, <laughs> they're just sitting at their computers all day long, and it's all they do. You know, and it's not to say that, you know, the Internet can't be a place where you can explore the world and explore yourself, because it can, but most of the time it's just they're, they're sitting there, you know, playing World of Warcraft or something, um, you know, that in 10 years or more is probably not going to mean anything to them. You know, but in that moment, it just kind of takes up everything. Um, and, I, and so I guess that's kind of what came to mind for me is, uh, as you were talking was just that, you know, people should consider very heavily, not just as far as like their contribution also, you know, once again to the external, but, you know, even internally, you know, wh where do you develop when you're kind of stuck in those fantasies all the time and, and not in any way looking to see uh, the art and the world around you? Do you follow me? Absolutely. Actually, you know, you, br you bring up several points that um, I could touch on. When you're speaking about video games, the one thing, the one analogy I like to use with video games is it's actually, it's, it's very good to understand what it is about a video game. I would encourage everybody to experience um, video games at, at least in this way. It's the 
the feeling of progress. You're actually doing something and you're making progress. You're always moving forward and there's always something new. So the analogy here is you're always coming upon something along the pathway that you are traveling in this video game. New things are always happening and you're approaching new things and you have to use more ingenuity to overcome or surmount what you're coming up against. And the reason why each level, it doesn't get easier, it gets more complex and more difficult as the video game goes on. And there's a very existential hint there, I believe. You know, why is that naturally the way that video games go? It's not like some, you know, some, you know, part of the elite cabal decided, oh, this is how we're going to trick people. We're going to make life seem like it gets harder. No, this is actually what we want. You know, as a child gets older, they don't like playing with these simple little toys anymore. They want more complex toys. Why? Because that's Ganesha again. We want to place obstacles in our way because we like overcoming them. The, the issue in life is the fact is we feel like we didn't choose any of this. We feel like, oh, well, you know, like the, my girlfriend leaving me and my boss firing me and my parents yelling at me and this, that, and the other. I didn't choose any of that. Well, you're right, but there, it's also in a video game. You're not choosing the obstacles that are coming upon you. Really, the video, the video game creators did. So what is it? Well, it's the challenge that you like. And as you move on and move forward, what you're realizing is, yeah, you, you want to move into these obstacles and into these challenges and things like that. But the, to, I guess, then piggyback off of where you were going with what you were saying is... In reality, not in virtual reality, but in reality, where do these obstacles seem to come up the most? And it's between people. It's not even us and our Earth, because our planet, honestly, if it weren't for human intervention, would be thriving. So the thing is, is it's people to people. You know, not even just people to animals, because there's a little bit of an analogy there. But when you're talking about where the biggest obstacles come about is people not knowing how to relate to other people, not knowing how to accept and embrace the fact that people are different. There's this idea of ultraconformity that everybody in the world should understand things in the same exact way that I understand things. That way, if they're acting out of accordance to the way I would, then they're just being an idiot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, these people aren't falling in line with the conformity that I believe everybody should be falling in line with. That way, that in that manner, this guy is an idiot, this guy is an a-hole, this guy is cool, this girl gives me what I want, this guy gives me what I want. I can intimidate this dude and make myself feel bit, bigger and better. You know, there's, there's this video game that we are laying out in front of us. We're laying our own obstacles there. But the reason why, you know, I like how you mentioned, you know, like, yeah, you can experience the world on Facebook. You can experience, it's like a bathroom stall wall. People put their opinions everywhere, all over Facebook. But yeah. the thing I love about Facebook in a certain way is everybody has their own news channel. Right. So you have, you have your own ability. Every person has a, a, now a website and a news channel, and you can put out songs that you like. You can put out, you know, videos that you think are cute and funny. You can put out your opinions. You can, you know, give a little uh, frowny face when you're having a sad day or something like that. It's a news channel. You're actually literally writing your own autobiography in real time in front of all of your friends, and you're getting feedback in real time. It's an interactive autobiography. I love that. However, 
to write an autobiography, you you know, like what's awesome about Jack Kerouac is he wasn't born with a pen and paper in hand and never experienced the world. No. To write an autobiography, you have to go out and experience the world, meet people, you know, put your hands and your feet in the dirt and actually go and do. And that's kind of, I, I think, the, the crux of this is recognizing that we, we seem to, to want to, like, avoid challenges um, on the outside, but really we're looking for challenges. We just get so frustrated, like, why aren't these people recognizing what I recognize? Why don't they just bend and yield to what I believe they should conform to? And that's kind of the um, the overarching theme of um, what I do when I go and I give my talks, really, is showing that, no, this is... This is, if there is anything such as divinity, that would be it. You would find divinity not within a hand, you know, cracking open the sky and reaching down into the earth. No, like, you're going to find it within people. You're going to find it within children, like the simple things, the simple yet profound things that children say. You're going to find it by realizing that, oh, this guy wasn't being an a-hole to me. This is just the way that he is. It's the way that he talks. It was me that was thinking he had to be a certain way for me to accept him. So this is really, to me, this is how we learn how to angle ourselves and to adopt new perceptions and to embrace with grace the path that is unfolding in front of us is by recognizing that people, the more you invest yourself in realizing that true value comes in relationships, not in things, you know, money materialism, things along those lines, instant gratification. These are all things that we think have value when in reality, if you were to allow yourself to recognize that your relationship with people speaks volumes about the merit and the value of your life, then that really is approaching the world in a completely different way. And this is why I stopped, you know, I stopped having my big art projects and my big ideas and big film ideas being just mine. I don't necessarily want to just wow people anymore. I really want to bring other people in and bring them into their power and allow them to realize that they are artists. They are the creators of their lives because relationships seem to matter more to me now. You know, that's actually really interesting because I was kind of concentrating a little bit more on one of my previous dreams of becoming a martial arts teacher. And in doing that, I, I thought back on something that uh, Bruce Lee says, and at least the, the person portraying Bruce Lee and Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, and um, his mm-hmm. wife, his wife to be, says, you know, why do you, you know, what is it about this that you like so much? And he says, I like how it changes people. You know, like when he would teach people martial arts, he'd watch how they would evolve and they would change. And um, I definitely like, for example, now I've kind of turned you know, much more heavily back on, you know, to the martial arts and set some goals for myself. And the funny thing is, is I, I realized that, you know, for example, I'm going to end up, you know, entering competitions and stuff like that to test myself. But like my end goal, my end passion is really to be able to help other people to be able to, you know, to go down this path. Like my ambition is to be the best teacher that I can possibly be, you know, with the time that I have in my life, um, you know, um, to do so. And also, obviously, to help my children, but just in general, anytime I've ever been in a position to help people do that, you know, I've, I've always felt, you know, very fulfilled. Um, and, I, and it's interesting also because, you know, like I'm, when I'm in a classroom full of people who in many cases are kind of on their path of just trying to improve themselves, 
you know, like their their approach is different. The the feeling of like why they're there is different. Um, and I think that like well, that was the other thing that I, I noticed um, in that same path was that there are also people who are extremely talented, not just in that, but like in many other things, who can't teach. Like um, like as in they for whatever reason they just they don't seem to to have the mechanism to be effective teachers. Like one of the most talented sword fighters I've ever met, he was a collegiate level fencer. And he was amazing in sword fighting, but he just, for whatever reason, could not really figure out how to communicate that to someone else. I remember feeling mm-hmm. kind of sorry for him for that, you know, but, um, and, you know, he could kind of give you little pointers every now and then, but as far as, like, being able to really comprehend on how to communicate what it is that he was doing to other people, he had a hard time with it. Um, you know, but for sure, I, uh, I definitely see where you're going with that, and, um, you know, when you had brought up the martial arts earlier, you know, it kind of piqued my interest because I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Um, especially with the state of the world, um, one of the things that occurred to me recently, and I plan on doing a show specifically about this topic, was that I noticed that a lot of the people in the, you know, the awakening movement, so to speak, people who are trying to think outside the box and, and trying to wake people up, it doesn't really occur to them, like, we look really far into the future, like, especially in the zeitgeist movement, obviously, people look forward to a possible, you know, future with, you know, with no violence and no war and all that. And, you know, something that Jacques talks about all the time is that before we get there, there's likely to be a period of, you know, a lot of unrest. You know, I mean, I hope that there isn't, and obviously we hope that we can avoid it, but, you know, there's probably going to be a period that's going to be very dangerous, and um, I think that we should definitely be able to defend ourselves. That was another motive that it came, you know, that came to me, is because the people who remember the mistakes of the previous way of doing things are going to have to survive that time period, um, you know, to ensure that mankind doesn't just come out of, you know, what could be another dark ages for our species to repeat the same mistakes. Um, it, have you ever had any thoughts or insight about that? Um, well, yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of, a lot of my work gets into recognizing patterns in um, not just in people, not just in individuals' lives, but in communities and entire civilizations. And um, it just so seems to be a part of, um, you know, if I could use the word archetype, uh, civil, you know, a civilized or an archetype that is embedded or encrypted within the psychological mainframe of entire civilizations is this idea that things do have to get worse before they get better and in a way that's just kind of like the mechanism by which you know we we are triggered through this process it's it's part of the catalyst that we have in place does it have to be that way absolutely not um however is you know you can look at it yes it it would it would be dangerous it would be scary in the same way that um you know, I'm, I'm hoping that the, the listeners have seen what cymatics is. When you have sand on top of an iron plate and you pump a frequency into it and the sand will actually take the shape of simple sacred geometry, whatever that, you know, the sacred means to that, but simple geometry. And then as you pump up the frequency and go higher, um, the, uh, the wave pattern gets more rapid and frequent and the um, the sand will actually then 
like an amoeba actually morph into a more complex pattern in the same way that I was speaking about um, the uh, the video games. So as the octave goes up, the the sand will actually take the form of more complex geometrical shapes. But what's interesting about that is everybody's focused, you know, when, when we're looking at this, like, oh, my God, this is how matter is created, and this is, you know, how energy um, dances with matter to create specific, uh, specific forms. But what I had found very interesting was if you get really close up to it and you look at how all the individual uh, individual particles of sand look, um, it looks chaotic at a certain level. But when you look at the whole order of it, when moving between the, the key of A and the key of B, you go through this period. In order to move up the you know elevation in that octave, um, to, to go from A to B, all the sand has to go through this deconstructive period where you're destroying the original geometrical pattern and then re-emerging as a more complex, more in a sense, a more beautiful pattern. But that in-between phase looks like war. It looks like every individual particle is going through a phase of war. And there's no order to it. It's just chaos. So I find that to be very allegorical to what I believe happens when you step from one paradigm to another. Now, the paradigm that we have been living in is the materialistic way. You know, we're surviving the planet, you know, like for the past however many thousands of years. You know, it, it's been only recent that we've had windows on houses. You know what I mean? It's only been within the past few hundred years that we, we discovered, like, windows and how to maintain heat within a house and how to, like take the environment of a home and make it a little bit more suitable to what we would like. That's really a, much more recent. So we've been surviving the elements for so long, and really we've been just moving into this um, this paradigm that, okay, now it's, it's all about making things more convenient, and it's, it's about making things more fun and convenient and playing off our, our childhood desires to just have everything that we want at our fingertips. And if you look at Western society, that's exactly what it is. People that make the most money are able to produce a product that makes your life easier and effortless in a way. And so I guess the point that I'm getting at is to move from that paradigm into the next paradigm, things kind of have to break down first. We have to get rid of or let that God die, the God of oh, well, this overarching scientific technological um, uh, field of people, they're making my life easier. They're, you know, central air and vacuum cleaners and ovens and things like that. Every, you know, grocery stores, my life is completely easy. But recognizing that that is not the pinnacle of human evolution, to move past that, it actually has to go inward, and we have to realize that we are the ones that are evolving on a conscious level. It's not just the outer effects of it. So that's a whole new paradigm. And to get from this paradigm to the next paradigm, I do believe that we just naturally have it within us that we need to destroy the old paradigm. And you see the beginning phases of this with people saying, the you know the U.S. government is completely screwed. The you know the you know the the government in Australia is completely screwed. Everybody's talking about their government as being completely 
utterly useless. We need to destroy it, go back to ground zero, and start again, instead of just using what we have and transmuting it into something else. So whether that's right or wrong, I'm not going to place a value on top of it. But what I find interesting about that is, especially through Facebook, you do see this overarching kind of like anger, but it's a beautiful energy, actually. People are like, we, I am done with the way things are moving right now. I am done with the way things are. I'm done with this government. I'm done with civilization. I'm done with culture. I'm done with all of this crap that we have in place because it doesn't serve me anymore. We need to destroy it and start again at ground zero. It's almost a return to tribalism and starting from the bottom back up. And what's interesting is, what does it take to move somebody to that point to where they want to see everything leveled and to start again? So, I, yes, I do believe that there is that point coming where things are going to seemingly get a lot worse before they get better. But in the same way of, you know, talking about purgative medicines like ayahuasca, throwing up is not a very pleasant thing to do on medicine. However, it is the very thing that makes you feel better. So that's kind of what I see is happening right now is we're purging a bunch of nonsense and we're, we're recognizing the nonsense, so we're purging it. How do we purge it? We don't throw up in a bucket. We're throwing it up online. We're throwing it up on forums and on Facebook. We're throwing up all this psychological baggage that we have and we're sharing it with people. And it's coming up as venom and hate and, and violence and aggressiveness, but I think it's beautiful because it's a sign that people are actually finally getting fed up with the old paradigm and ready to step into the new one. As long as they know how to move from that aggression and transmute it into something that's healthy, not just on an individual level, but on a, uh, on a cultural level, on a greater level. That's, that's what actually, I see, basically. That's a really profound thought I'd ever, never really thought about that. Because, I mean, you know, obviously you know about my, my, the work on the documentary that I'm trying to put together called Troll. Um, you know, Troll, was, yeah. was to discuss that, that it just seems like there is a tendency to move in that direction. And I think uh, some of it, just from what I found, was that people will come home and they're frustrated with their lives and so they go take it out on the internet. And the thing is, is that it manifests in ways that generally have nothing to do with, like, what specifically annoyed them. They just feel the need to express uh -huh. that. And, and I had never really thought of it as vomit before, but no, that, that actually, that analogy works really well. Um, I have a question from yeah. the audience, um, from Jeffrey James. He says, I'm just curious, is there a certain type of routine to get in the zone to get projects done for you? Uh, what's so funny about this is this is actually exactly one of the topics I'm going to be speaking about in Australia. And I'll see if I can even bring up the... Um, uh, I, I wrote it down kind of like as as a outline. Um, so for me, it, the the whole section was like magic or imagination. And here is a process by which I use to get projects done. And it seems counterintuitive because it's kind of dry and it's very analytical. But um, hopefully throughout this, um, you and, and the listener, uh, Jamie, was it? Uh Jeffrey James. Jeffrey James, okay. So, yeah, this, this is what I've noticed. Um, first, I intentionally choose a small task uh, or a series of tasks with a secondary desire for the reward, meaning my desire for the outcome of the task is secondary to the desire to just complete something. 
So let's say cleaning my room, it's not what I, uh, what I want to tell my kids when I'm, you know, like in my 50s. Oh, back, you know, back in 2014, I cleaned my room. So, uh, you know, I'm not really excited about the reward. It's opening up the ability and the capacity to know subconsciously, because you're teaching a child, your subconscious is a child, to teach your subconscious how to just complete a task any task it doesn't matter what it is and it's better that you're not invested in the outcome you're invested in just the ability to complete it so choose a short task that you know that you can complete but you have very little or no emotional investment in and then you use the feelings that you accrue by completing this task you use the feeling of accomplishment not of the reward but of just completing the task as fuel And so you find comfort and joy in the process of simply doing something because you chose to create a new circumstance in your life. Before you had an unclean room, now you have a clean room. That changes the ability for your mind to be able to operate in that room because it's clean. So so from that point, you put less emphasis on the details of the challenge and more on the process of starting, maintaining, and then completing a task. So what I mean by that is, you're not really worried about how you're going to clean the room. It's really, you're making a game out of it. You're making it fun. You're making it comfortable. You're doing it in your time. You're not worried about completing it quickly. You're doing it, but you're focused on the joy of every moment of starting, maintaining, and finishing that task. So you're bringing that feeling of joy to the entire ability to start, maintain, and complete a task, and that begins to subconsciously seep into a way that always seems to happen. It seems to be like that is the natural way that you start tasks is by finding the joy in it. You're not like, oh, as soon as I get this done, then I'll have the reward. No, look at the energy that, that you're creating is you're trying to throw away the process so you could just have the reward. But if you find joy in the process, then that actually opens up a neurological pathway for that to always be the way that you approach tasks. So this produces a physical program in your neurology. It opens a path of least resistance. And then once you've become good at the process of starting, maintaining, and completing every single task that you've begun, then your subconscious takes over and installs a belief And this is where magic comes in. It installs a belief, a subconscious knowing that you you know that no matter what task you take on, you will complete it. You know how to complete a task now. And so at this point, you always have an unceasing and increasing inspiration to complete any task. So if you start anything, you have this subconscious drive that's compelling you to complete it no matter what. So then you have to find the balance of making sure that you're not burning yourself out and just starting tasks so you can complete it. It's not a form of gratification, you know, like where the, the, the mouse touches a button and a little pellet of food comes out. That's not what you're gaining out of completing tasks because then at the point that you, you just every task that you start, you complete, then what you begin to do is you begin mixing your desires back into the tasks. So you start choosing tasks that you really do care about the reward. And that's once, you have, once you've gotten to the point where you know you can complete any task, then you start choosing the tasks that you really you feel have merit. You feel that they have value in your path in life. And when you do that, then your subconscious is 
not um, getting in the way and showing you the reality of like, no, you need to learn how to complete a task. Your subconscious is actually there as the foundation and the backbone of how you will complete that task. So if, if you're following me, um, where, where I'm going with this is it's actually in a sense, and I, I hate to put it this way, but it's psychological engineering. You are actually understanding the way that you come about doing things and how your neurology and your waking consciousness and your subconscious actually either help or hinder that process. And all you're doing is, is you are allowing your subconscious to help the process of you completing tasks and projects. So then once you've gotten to that point where you can p complete anything, all you have to do is you have to find what you really want out of life. And that is the soul searching then you just find what you really, really want to do in your life, and you do it. You start it, you maintain it, and you complete it with the, uh, with the understanding that your true purpose in life is never done. So you may complete a task, but that is a step in the staircase towards your path. You know, so that's, that's my um, a little tidbit that I've learned. I'm not going to say that's the alpha and omega and that's, that's not the best way. That's just the way that I have learned to really recognize that you're, you are the, the creator of your life. You are a mag, uh, you're a magician. You are actually putting in place the science in front of you to actually help um, assist you along your way. So uh, hopefully that made sense. No, it made Jeffrey. perfect sense, um, and I hope it made sense to Jeffrey, too. No. Um, ben, as far as, like, uh, when you look back um, over the course of your life, uh, what, like, I mean, especially now that obviously we've, we've had a little time, you know, obviously different things come up in people's lives, like I just talked about, like, martial arts having more of an influence in mind. Are there any, like, new influences or anything new that you've been into lately that has been having an impact on not just the way you perceive the world, but the way you interact with it? Um, you know, honestly, only one. And that is... Um, I, I, I guess I have to get into it. You know, I, I try not to get into my personal life too much, but, um, you know, I, I've, I've met the most amazing girl in the world, and I truly am, for the first time, more in love than I've ever been. And what I recognize is that has become my path in life. Whereas before I had all these ideas of projects that I wanted to do, ways to really wow people and, uh, you know, like create the most amazing art in the world. And what I recognize is, you know what? My art project, my path in life, everything has shifted into one thing loving this person unconditionally as deeply as possible without the word like forever because that's very loaded um, but the word infinity because infinitely that's how deep you will go like w when I look at this relationship I don't worry about how long it will last I worry about and it's not even worry I am inspired by how deeply I can let myself fall into this you know in you know into what you would call love or into her heart or into the ability to really open up in front of another human being and find value within a relationship. Just one other person. Instead of trying to find a way to unconditionally love the world and save the world, I just found one person and that this is what I aim to do is 
love her unconditionally, infinitely, as deeply as I can go, because it's also an, an amazing frickin' journey. I have to admit, it's, it's scarier and it's more exciting than traveling across the country with $5 and hitchhiking, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an amazing adventure, and, you know, maybe not everybody is at this point that I'm at, but I found that, to me, I was always looking outwards. I was always looking at projects. I always had ideas, you know. It was always the next big art project or the next big film or the next big album. Now it is this individual in my life, a living, breathing, beautiful human being, how do I move deeper and deeper and deeper into a relationship? That has changed me in so many ways I can't even begin to express. Well, that's a, you know, um, even without having to get into any big details, that's another really interesting question to ponder because uh, I've thought about this a lot. You know, um, over the course of my life, I studied relationships very closely, and I think some of that started just with watching my, my mother and my father's relationship disintegrate. Um, and then not wanting to emulate that. And then I became more and more fascinated with it. And I think that what you're talking about uh, is something that people should aspire to, but especially in the culture here in the United States, uh, people are under pressure to at least appear to be in a relationship because nobody wants to appear to be alone. Um, and mm-hmm. what I generally find is that, uh, especially you know, when, because friends of mine, you know, I have a lot of friends who are, a bit younger than me due to my hobbies and like they'll come to me for relationship advice and uh, the almost constant reoccurring theme is that people essentially in their desire to find what you're talking about like they sense that that's what they should have or that that's what they should seek and then what ends up happening instead is that you know if they're really lonely you know or uh, if there's something, you know, that they think that they're going to find in someone else that maybe they should find in themselves and they, they're not, not really ready, but what they'll end up doing is maybe they'll find somebody physically attractive and then they'll start uh, filling in the blanks, so to speak. They'll try to uh, project onto that person the perfect person, um, you know, and as a result, you know, after a period of time, because, you know, in some cases the other person will do the same thing. I've seen people... It's not just about lying to your partner. It's about lying to yourself about who your partner really is because you want that to be the perfect person. Um, And I've seen so many people waste so much energy on it. And and then when it doesn't work out, you know, because, you know, essentially the delusion that they created for themselves starts starts to fade... Rather than just accepting, hey, I should have been more honest with myself, you know, um, then they'll blame either relationships themselves, they'll blame, say, marriage, they'll blame an entire gender, you know, they'll, they'll blame, you know, rather than in, in any way honestly, sincerely looking at their own contribution to the situation, um, you know, and in my own failed marriage, obviously I made a lot of these same mistakes, um, and I and I seek to not you know, continue them. That was another kind of self-introspective thing that I was dealing with in my life was like, you know, if I was going to have another relationship, what was I not going to do this time around and what was I going to do, you know, differently? Um, And I think that people, uh, basically, you know, to to kind of sum up like where I was at with that is that people looking for what it is that you are looking, you know, that you appear to have found, you know, will tend to go through so much, you know, um, basically, to paint themselves, they end up painting themselves into a corner, essentially. Um, and as a result, you know, uh, relationships can get so complicated. You know, they, especially 
I, I keep hammering on the, the American culture, and it's not to say that there are not relationship problems in other cultures, obviously. You know, but one of the things that uh, I recently kind of came to a conclusion about about this is that a lot of the old-fashioned values uh, that we have, you know, or that rather the people had, you know, because another thing I did when I was studying relationships is I was trying to study what were the things that relationships started, like, say, at the time of our great-grandparents or even just our grandparents, you know, what were they doing differently? Because these people got married at, like, 16 and are still together sometimes 60, 70 years later. You know, and on average in the United States, somebody gets married at 16 now, they, they'll be lucky if they're married two years. You know, um, and the answers I tend to get are just that, that people basically, you know, even the, even the older people who are not, you know, necessarily just being cruel, like they'll just say things like, it just seems to me that the young couples nowadays, they don't really, uh, they give up too easily, you know, if something is not necessarily everything that they thought it was going to be to start. They don't, you know, commit themselves to having good communication and loyalty. Um, I guess my question to you then, obviously within that framework, you know, is now that you've, now that you're standing on the top of the mountain, perhaps looking back on the journey, you know, comparing it to other interactions that you've had, you know, that you would have called relationships earlier in your life, you know, what would you say, you know, that you take away from that, you know, what have you learned? How has it made you grow? Wow. Well, I mean, the first thing that I could say is that, you know, it, it does seem kind of easy for me to say it now that I've found this. It seems kind of easy for me to say, um, you know, oh, well, yeah, all you got to do is just find somebody that you love and, you know, and just go deeply into it. Because obviously that um, you know, that kind of takes away a little bit of the, the work that I had to do to get to this point where I can recognize such beauty uh, in in this girl, um, Barbara. So, really, I, I guess the way that I've looked at it is, in, I've always had complicated relationships in my past because of the very things that you were talking about. I never realized how I place this idea of what I should have from somebody, you know, what the relationship should look like. And then there's always these questions, oh, is this the one? You know, is this right. the right one for me? And, you know, th these are all things that I forgot that I have control over. You know, like, is this the one? Well, do I choose for it to be the one? It's kind of like you pop in a movie, and you're like, oh, man, is this the one? You know, is this the movie that I should be watching? Well, right. what, what the hell? Like, you know, you, you're not going to get some, like, spirit from the ether that pops into the third dimension and say, yes, this is the, you're on the right path. Keep watching this movie. No, it's a choice, you know? And I, I chose because I was in the right place in my life for this to be the for this to be it and um, it just helps that I, I really believe you know whether it be synchronicity or just you know like some type of divine coincidence that this you know she just happens to be the, the perfect one to challenge me in the ways that I need to be challenged to call me on my BS whenever I'm, you know, getting out of line or, or, you know, like too high on myself, she balances me, you know, and she also, she drives me deeper into recognizing that the relationship is primary and, you know, everything above and beyond that is kind of, that's just, it's just words, it's just ideas, um, but there's nothing that happens between her and I that, um, 
that is more important than the overall knowing that we're, we're not here to spare each other's feelings. So we're not here to just be nice with one another. You know, we're not here to just like, you know, gratify one another. It's, it's not about that. There's actually something very interesting that's going on. We're challenging each other deeper into ourselves and something is evolving, something is growing, something's expanding. So what I re realized, at least at that point, was that a lot of work inside me had to be done to even get to this point to where I could realize this is what's important to me. So, you know, I don't really know how to, to, to respond, mu you know, much more beyond that. I mean, like, relationships have always been very complicated for me, and it just seems like it snapped into place because I chose for it to. I really do believe that, you know... Um, especially in the field that I get into when it comes into research and, you know, speaking about ancient scriptures and things like that and what were they talking about and what is the overall overarching basis of religion and, um, you know, the it, ancient cultures and shamanic cultures. To me, it doesn't matter how much you read and how much you know about whatever. That's all intellectual. The merits of the heart is really where it's at. Your heart is not confused at all. Your intellect can get confused on, you know, if you're using that to make decisions. Your intellect is bouncing things back and forth. It's a great calculator. It knows how to weigh options, and it knows how to, um, you know, kind of co compare and contrast between things that you've experienced. But it can get confused if you have to place value upon your intellectual ideas of which way to go in this world and who's the right one for you and how should this relationship look in your life and how should it unfold when really it's about getting rid of all that complexity and returning to simplicity when you're working from the heart and i know that's a very you know metaphorical way of saying it because what does it mean to work from the heart and to speak from the heart um a lot of us have a notion of that but we don't know exactly what it means and i think that's what's important there's no one way to live from the heart however you know when something is right you can even almost say that it's the voice of the conscience inside. You know when something is right. Now, that doesn't mean that it is, it is empirically right. It doesn't mean that it is absolutely right. And it doesn't mean that it is right for anybody other than you. You know, like, let's say, you know, jumping off of this 40-foot cliff into water. Is it right? Well, you know, uh, is, it, is it going to spiritually advance you in any way? Is it, is it going to, you know, win you a prize? Who knows, but in this moment, are you being compelled to jump off this cliff into that water? You're not going to get, like, you know, a $1,000 from, you know, from the ether just randomly because you completed this task. What it is is recognizing that there's something more subtle and more metaphorical that's going on. And when I started looking into that and realizing that, you know what, it's kind of like what I was saying about the first season of Waking Infinity. It's faith-based. Not faith in some god or in something beyond who I am. It's faith that in the moment, if I consult with my heart or if I consult with my conscience, I will know the right thing to do. I won't have to question it. I know spontaneously the right way to respond when somebody asks me a question like, how are you doing today? Or, you know, I don't have to sit and ponder this, you know, and compare it intellectually to things that, oh, how did I respond to this last time? And how does this compare to the last time I felt this way? No, you know exactly how you feel right now. Just respond. 
So I guess what I'm getting at with when it, you know, in regards to relationships is when you move into that area to where you're just spontaneously being you, you're artistically being yourself genuinely, spontaneously in the moment. You don't have to question it. You're unapologetic about who you are. Then what that really is is you're glowing with your own self-confidence. It's not pompous. It's not cocky. It's confident because you know who you are. You are being you. You know, it's, it's the truest form of self-expression, which is perfect art. You know, like Kurt Cobain didn't have the greatest voice in the world, but why did people like it? Because it was real. It came straight from his soul. It was genuine. It was authentic. You know who Kurt Cobain is just by listening to his voice. You know, so that's kind of what I'm getting at is the more real you become, the more you explore your art and find yourself within your art of life, that's when you'll realize that that is the core basis of what you offer in a relationship. And what you get in return is something that you will never expect it if you were looking for something. You know, so to me, that's, that's just like a tidbit that I've learned, whether I have miles and miles more to learn in this life, which I'm sure I do. Um, that's kind of where I'm at. Well, that's excellent, Ben. And I want to thank you again for coming on and taking this time to share with us. You know, the conversations with you are always excellent. Uh, why don't you tell the audience again where they can find your work? Uh, well, if you go to talismanicidols.org, that's T-A-L-I-S-M-A-N-I-C-I-D-O-L-S.org, um, that's my production company website. For uh, My brother and I you know, have Talismanic Idols. We're the ones who've done the films. Um, so any continuing film projects will be on that site, um, and that's about to be revamped here soon. Um, but I like to tell people to just get a hold of me on Facebook. You know, I have a Kymatica page, Esoteric Agenda, Ungrip, Hanged Man Project, and my own personal page, Ben Stewart. So just find me on Facebook. You know, like I'm extremely busy, but I try to respond to as many emails as I possibly can. Um, and sometimes it takes me a month, and then I'll go back and I'll respond to every, you know, I'll take two days and respond to every single email. So just... Be patient, but, you know, definitely connect with me because it's, it's great to have that connection through Facebook because I seem to have the most access to it. And uh, people generally ask me after our show is over when we mention your band, where they can check, where can they check out Hyrosonic? Uh, Hyrosonic.com. So H-I-E-R-O-S-O-N-I-C.com. Um, and find it on Facebook. It's just Facebook.com backslash Hyrosonic. All right. Well, thanks again, Ben, for coming on. And um, uh, yeah, as always, you know, if you uh, have any new projects you want to talk about, you know, don't hesitate to let me know. It'd be great to have you on B Radio again. Awesome, man. It's been great, and I can't wait to come back. All right. Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in tonight. If this is your first time checking out B Radio, please check out my website, b hyphen or b minus radio dot org. And if you liked what you heard tonight, consider a donation. Thanks again. <laughs>